This is the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast, and we've got another great message for you. For information about us, check out thegatheringottawa.com. To get connected, email info at thegatheringottawa.com. And just know that at The Gathering, we exist to connect people to the love of Jesus. So let's get right to it. is the question that we're going to be working through in this series. God has a name. Who is God? Really? Is he a he? A she? A they? What are his pronouns? Uh, is he in it? The universe? Right? People refer to the higher power, this higher power. Is God a person? Is he a leaf span? A sense fan, or heaven forbid, maybe a Habs fan? I don't know about that one. What's he like? Is he mean? Is he nice? Is he distant and angry? Or is he close, nearby, engaged in our day-to-day lives? Who is God, really? And what is he like? I would say it's probably the most important question one can ask in life, actually. Who is God? As how you answer that question will define and shape you as much or more than anything else will. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer put it like this. He said, we tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. So what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Or, put another way, what you think about God will shape you. What you think about God will shape you, right? We we tend to move towards our mental image of God. What it is that we believe or think about God will shape and define the kind of people that we become. For example... If you tend to think of God as this angry or distant, judgmental tyrant in the sky who hates people, hates sinners, and can't wait to smite them, then that will probably shape you into the kind of person who is angry and judgmental and full of bigotry towards certain people. You feel justified in that. Or, on the other hand, if you tend to think of God as a progressive, liberal, tolerant liberal, <laughs> where our beliefs and ethics and morality don't, don't really matter to him all that much, so he doesn't care about that kind of stuff so much, then that will also shape you into someone who could be you know, pretty loose on those things as well. Or, as another example, if you might think of God as a cosmic vending machine of sorts. Or if you put in the right amount of money, press the right buttons, pray the right way, God will dispense blessings into your life. Or, or you know, as another example, if you might think of God as this cosmic life coach of sorts, that uh, their job is primarily, God's job is primarily to make you successful in life and to give you your best life now. Well, those kinds of images, those kinds of thoughts or ideas about God, they, they can shape you into a self-centered narcissist, actually, and feel justified in it because you just tend to think that all of life 
Even God's purpose is about you, to bless you, to make you happy, successful. What you think about God will shape you. Now, the reality is, as I say that, everybody thinks something about God. We all have some sort of picture of God that comes to mind when we think of God. Religious people think of a certain thing, a certain way about God, and non-religious people do, as do Christians, Muslims, even atheists, who are often angry at the God that they believe don't exist. We all have a picture of God that comes to mind when we think about God. But if we want to get that picture right, we have to go, I think, to the source. We have to go, actually, to Scripture. There's lots of different passages in the Bible that we could look at that tell us who God is and what God is like. In fact, you could argue that the entire Bible is about that, trying to show us, reveal to us who God really is, what God is really like. But there is only one passage, believe it or not, in the entire Bible where God himself tells us who he really is. One passage, one passage in the entire Bible where God self-discloses, describes to us what exactly he is like. And that passage is the passage that was just read for us in Exodus 34, verses 6 through to 7, where in response to Moses' request to God, they're on top of Mount Sinai, Moses asked God in Exodus 33 to show him his glory, or in other words, to reveal yourself to me. That's what Moses was asking of God. God in Exodus 34 shows up in a cloud of glory, saying these words to Moses. I want to read them again in Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. Yahweh, this is God speaking, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. This passage is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. In fact, it is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. If you read on after Exodus, Leviticus, through to Revelation, biblical authors circle back to this passage over and over again, more than any other passage, especially in the Jewish scriptures. This passage was central to a Jewish understanding of God and his character. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project calls this passage the John 3.16 of Judaism. You know John 3.16, the most well-known quoted verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and so on. That's kind of Christian's most common verse, most common passage, most quoted passage. But to Jewish people, it's probably this passage in Exodus 34 that was the most central to their faith, is the most central to their faith. It's called the 13 Midots, 13 Attributes of Mercy. And Orthodox Jews pray it on certain festival days before even reading the Torah. This passage is a big deal to Jewish people and their understanding of God. But for us, as kind of Western Christians, Western evangelicals, this passage, honestly, is hardly ever talked about or referenced or considered. Instead, for us... Here today, when we're asked who God is, 
um, what God might be like, for, for many Western evangelical Christians, these big theological terms might come to mind. Right? Words like sovereign and immutability or impassibility, if you're really into theology, terms that mean essentially that God does not change in any way. Words like righteous or holy or loving come to mind. Important words. But maybe if you're really steeped in uh, theology, the omnis, the three omnis might come to mind. Right? How many know what I'm talking about when I say the omnis? A couple people. Right? He's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Omniscient, which means all-knowing. Or omnipresent, which means all-present. Those are terms, theological words that we've kind of put together ourselves to try to describe God in a more scientific, accurate way. And they're all good and true terms. The Bible supports those terms. They're, they're right. It's just not how God describes himself. Instead, when, when God described himself, he did so not by using big theological terms, but by describing his character, his nature, his essence. Shows how personal he is, doesn't it? So over the next several weeks throughout the summer, we want to look at this often ignored passage together, looking each week at a different attribute of God from this passage, starting today with his name. Do you know God has a name? His name's not God. It's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. This is the name he gives himself in Exodus 34. Yahweh, the Lord. The Lord, whenever you see the Lord written in all caps in the Old Testament, that means Yahweh. And that's how we know that the writer is saying Yahweh. Some translations here of Exodus 34 just say the Lord, the Lord, all in caps, or Yahweh, Yahweh. That's God's way of introducing himself to Moses, telling Moses his name for emphasis, repeating it twice. Yahweh, Yahweh. So what's the deal with God's name Yahweh, and why should we care? Well, for starters, it's important to know that in the Hebrew Scriptures, a person's name was actually much more than just their name, right? It spoke to their identity and purpose in life, who it was that they were at the core of their being. It's very different nowadays, though, isn't it? Nowadays, when we're picking out baby names for our kids, right? I don't know about you. Some of you care more about the meanings of names than others, but for most of us, we don't really care what the name means. We care if it sounds nice, right? When we had our babies, that was the primary thing, right? Do we like the way that this sounds? So we called Brendan, Brendan. It means prince. It's not because he's a prince. He's the prince, I suppose, of the Yancey family. If I'm the king, I can live with that. Um, Dylan, our secondborn, means son of the sea. Okay, well, Kim did not give birth on a ship. In a boat. He was not born on a sea. So I don't, that doesn't really work for him. I don't think he really cares so much about the sea, to be honest with you. Leah, her name means weary. As we look at that definition, we're like, ah, oh, it doesn't feel good. The other ones I can live with. This one feels kind of like we're saying she's ugly. That's what it meant, like weary, tired looking, ugly. So we gave her the middle name Belle, French name Belle, right? To say beautiful, to like balance things out. We didn't want to give her a complex. So Leah. Bell, but honestly, we didn't really care about the meaning of our kids' names. I imagine most of you probably didn't either, if your parents and you named your kids. But this is very different than what it was in Bible times. A person's name in Bible times spoke to their identity, 
You could say it was their autobiography in a word. For example, think of the story of Abraham in Genesis, originally known as Abram. But then Yahweh makes him a promise in Genesis 17, verses 4 through to 5, saying that he would make him the father of many nations. And he changes Abram's name from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means exalted father of many nations. Gives him a brand new identity. And then there's Isaac, Abraham and Sarah's son. Isaac means laughter. Because when Sarah heard that she would have a son in her old age, she thought it was so ridiculous that she laughed. And they called Isaac, Isaac, because of the joy that he brought into their life, the laughter that he brought into their life. And there's Isaac's son, Jacob. Jacob means heel grabber, which he literally was doing as he was born with his twin brother. He was grabbing hold of Esau's heel on the way out. Became a euphemism heel grabber for a liar and a cheat, which Jacob was. But later in life, in a bizarre story in Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestles an angel who he later finds out is actually God. God renames him Israel. A name that means he struggles with God. Because that was literally his story. In Bible times, names mattered a lot. Spoke to a person's identity. Was their autobiography in just one word. So, fast forward to Moses now here in Exodus 33 and 34. Moses is asking God, to reveal himself to him. And what does God do? He tells him his name. Exodus 33, chapter before the one uh, that we were just reading from. The Lord replied to Moses' request to show him his glory. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. Or in other words... Yeah, Moses, you want to know who I am? Okay, I'll reveal my true identity and nature and character to you. And I'll start by telling you my name. Which is exactly what Yahweh does. As he appears to Moses in a cloud and shouts out his name, Yahweh the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh. But for context, it's important to know that this story in Exodus 33 and 34, story on Mount Sinai, it doesn't come out of nowhere. In a sense, this is actually a, a climax, the climax of a story that's been taking shape ever since the very beginning of the Bible, the very opening words of Scripture. We're in Genesis 1, verse 1, first verse of the Bible. The story of God and God's people starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God here in Hebrew is the word Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. This word, this term Elohim, it's a generic term for a god or the gods. The writer of Genesis is saying that there's this creator god. We don't know his name. He's not the god of fire or the god of sun or the god of water or the god of this and that as many people knew gods to be in that time. He's the creator god, but we don't know what to call him. So we're going to call him Elohim with a capital E. This unknown creator God. Later in Genesis, this creator God comes to Abram. We've talked about this a little bit already. He calls Abram to leave his land and go to a new land. Abram goes, having several encounters with this God along the way. And yet, in all of this, Abraham never learns God's name. The other gods, the small g gods of Mesopotamia, they all had names, as I said. But Abraham's God, he remained 
a bit of a mystery. The closest thing we get to a name for Abram in Abram's story is in Genesis 17 when uh, God is, is calling him to leave his land, making a covenant with him. Genesis 17, verse 1, says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. The word El being the Canaanite word for the king of the gods. Shaddai meaning Almighty. What God's saying here is, I am the God of all gods. You know of all these other small G gods? I'm capital G God. I'm God Almighty. These other gods have nothing on me. It's not really his name. Other places in Genesis, God is also called El Elyon, which means God Most High, or God Olam, which means God Everlasting. But usually when the writers of Genesis refer to God, they just call him the God of Abraham. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they didn't really know his name. Like it's the God that my dad worshipped. (laughs) That's our God. But all this changes now with Moses. Not in Exodus 33 and 34, which we're looking at here today, but actually all the way back in Exodus 3, decades before Exodus 34, when God appears to Moses in a burning bush. Right? You, you know this story, even if you're not a church person, I'm sure, where God meets uh, Moses as he's actually on Mount Sinai again. Right? It all starts on Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. He calls Moses out to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And after some discussion, protest actually from Moses, Moses asks God who it is that he should say to the Hebrew people, to the Israelites that sent them. Who, who are you? Tell me your name, Moses says to God. And here's what God says, Exodus 3. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. Or as others have translated it, whatever I am, I will always be. Whatever I am, I will always be. This is important. This means that whatever God is actually like, whatever his character is, he is that way all the time. He never changes. He never shifts. He's stable 24-7. For example, if God actually is compassionate, then he's compassionate all of the time. If he's full of grace and mercy, then he's full of grace and mercy all the time. If he's slow to get angry, he's slow to get angry all the time. If he takes sin seriously, then he takes sin seriously all the time. Whatever he is, he is all the time. He's always true to his character. Like, unlike maybe some of our family members and friends who shift and change, let us down, Surprise us with that dirty little secret that we didn't know. Abandon us. Betray us. Hurt us. God's not like that. Because whatever he is, he is that way all the time. You can rely on him. You can trust in his character, in who it is that he says that he is. We sang, I am who I am. So after God tells Moses his name here, I am, we read this in verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, Yahweh. My name, will, my name to remember for all generations. Now, at first glance, this is a little bit confusing, isn't it? Like, what is God's name then? Is it I am who I am, or is it Yahweh? 
the God of your ancestors. He kind of gives himself two names here. Which name is right? I am or Yahweh? The answer is this. Yes. <laughs> it's both. In Hebrew, the name Yahweh, it comes actually from the same root words as I am who I am. It's in the third person. It means the same thing, but in the third person, the word Yahweh does. When you say Yahweh, what you're saying is he will be who he will always be. He will be. That's what you're saying. It's the name of God for us to use of him. That's the name God gave us, the name Yahweh. At least we, we think that's his name. It's a tricky word to translate into English. And there's two reasons for that. First reason is, is that vowels aren't there in the original language, right? In ancient Hebrew, they didn't use vowels. And so we think that the vowels in Yahweh are A and D, but we don't know for sure. Scholars think that's right, but they're not totally sure. Second reason it's tricky to know for sure is because the Hebrew people actually stopped saying and writing the name of God, Yahweh, in an effort to avoid breaking the third commandment, right? You, you must not misuse the name of Yahweh, your God. And so they started using other names and titles for God instead, two titles in particular. First one being Adonai, which is the term actually that servants gave to their masters. It means Lord, Hebrew word for Lord. Or Jehovah which I find interesting, is actually a blend of the words Yahweh and Adonai. It takes the vowels of Adonai and the consonants of Yahweh and blends it together, and you get the word Jehovah. The Y is like, it's a, it sounds like a J in Hebrew, so you get Jehovah. And then throughout the Old Testament, you see different variations of the word Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. Right, if you grew up in the church, there's that song, Jehovah Jireh, God, I won't sing it for you, His grace is sufficient for me, for me. Uh, all right, y'all, let's get it together. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Nisi, our protector. It's different Jehovah's different names that were given to God using the term Jehovah. Beautiful names loaded with meaning. But these are not the names that God gave himself. These are names that others gave to God to describe what they saw in his character. There is only one name that God gave himself, and that is the name Yahweh. I am who I am, and whatever I will be, I will always be. You can rely on me. You can trust me. I am good. I am faithful always and never change. Now then, with that in mind, let's go back to Exodus 34, our main text. Moses is on top of the mountain. Once again, same place where the Bernie Bush story took place, and the same place where Moses originally asked God his name in Exodus 33. God's saying, I am who I am, or Exodus 3, he says that I am who I am. Decades later now, Exodus 34, Moses finally gets a complete answer to that question that he asked decades earlier. As God appears to him in a cloud of glory and fully reveals his name and his character to him as he passed by. Which is wild. Moses had to kind of hide in the cleft of a rock. He couldn't see his face. He could only see him from behind. But as Yahweh passed by, he shouts out these words. Let me read them again. Amazing words. Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh, Yahweh, for emphasis. This is my name. The God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. Take sin seriously. Lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected 
even children in the third and fourth generations, which I know that last line is a little confusing. We'll get there. Don't worry. It's actually quite interesting. But this is Yahweh, and it's who he is and who he'll always be, never changing, always the same. You see how personal he is. In Exodus 33, there's actually a text there. It talks about how Moses and God would have conversations all the time, and that God spoke to Moses as he did to a friend. That's the kind of relationship that God had with this Yahweh. It's the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us, too. Do you know this God? Is this what comes to mind when you picture God? Loving, compassionate, full of mercy, takes sin seriously. Or do you see him as something else, perhaps? As an angry father, distant, disengaged in our lives, progressive, tolerant, maybe, of all sorts of things, indifferent towards our beliefs and morality, a cosmic life coach or vending machine. Do you know this Yahweh? Because remember, what you think about God will shape you as much or more than anything else will. If you see him as a faithful, never-changing God, I am who I am, then you too, with God's help by his Spirit, will strive to become the kind of person who is faithful and trustworthy in life. If you see God as well as compassionate and full of mercy, then you too, with God's help, strive to become the kind of person who is also full of compassion and mercy, specifically towards those in need. If you see God as someone who is slow to get angry, you too will strive to be someone who is slow to get angry. If you see him as someone who is filled with unfailing love and forgiveness, faithfulness, someone who takes sin seriously, then you too will strive to become these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because what you think about God will shape you. So do you know him as he's revealed himself to be to us? Or are you stuck on some other picture of God instead? Well, if you are stuck, and if you ever get stuck, if you ever forget what God is like, as we all tend to do, what do we do? We look to Jesus. Because in Jesus, this God, the great I Am, Yahweh, he becomes flesh. He takes on flesh. He becomes a person in Jesus Christ. And the writers of the New Testament tell us that this person in Jesus, he actually reveals God to us in his fullness. Colossians 1 verse 15 says that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews talks about how God reveals his true character to us, shows us exactly who God is. He is the full revelation of God. He is Exodus 34 in the flesh. Look at how John put it in John 1 verse 14. And as I read this, look at Look at it or listen for the Exodus 34 overtones because they're there on purpose. John says this, So the word, which is a Genesis word, by the way, Logos, the word of God, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. Or quite literally, he pitched his tabernacle amongst us, which is what is happening in Exodus 34 and 35. The tabernacle, the dwelling of God, the tent was being pitched at the, the base of Mount Sinai. John's saying, now he's here with us, fullness of God with us. And he was full of what, John tells us? Unfailing love 
and faithfulness. Where have you heard those words? Exodus 34, right? In some other translations, you hear the words grace and truth. Better translation is actually this, unfailing love and faithfulness. John is purposely hyperlinking back to Exodus 34, saying Jesus is this. And we have seen his glory, John says. Moses wanted to see God's glory. God appeared to him in a cloud. John's saying, we've all seen now his glory because we've seen Jesus, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. We've seen the glory of God in Jesus Christ, Yahweh in the flesh. And then crazy, crazy to, to wrap our minds around, but then he, he takes on himself the sin of the world on the cross. That's how seriously he took sin. He took it upon himself and dealt with it once and for all so that we could be set free from it. If ever you want to know what God is truly like, you look at Christ, you look at Jesus, and specifically you look at Jesus on the cross, Yahweh in the flesh on the cross, dealing with all of sin and evil once and for all. God has a name, and his name is Yahweh, and he has been fully revealed to us in Jesus Christ, God in flesh. Two questions for us to think about before we go to a time of story, hearing Lori's story and the, the baptism, which by the way, if we want to bring the kids in and, and uh, the junior youth, now is a good time. I don't know if Rachel's in here, but she can go grab them. Two questions for us. For you, what comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God? And how is that image shaping the way that you live your life today? So two very big questions. What comes to mind for you when you think of God? And how is that image shaping the way that you live your life today? I would challenge you, encourage you to spend some time reflecting on that. Because what sin has done to each and every one of us has messed up our view of God. Has told us lies about who God is. That he does not love us. He is not full of grace and mercy. He does not take sin seriously. We get these messed up views of God and it messes our lives up. As a result, we need to come back to knowing who God really is as he's revealed himself to be. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your name, Yahweh. Knowing that you are faithful, who you are, you will always be. You never change. Your character remains the same. We can trust in you. And Jesus, we thank you that you became flesh, that you, Yahweh, became flesh for us. You came down on a rescue mission from heaven to save us from sin and evil and death and all the things that gave us messed up views of you, messed up views of ourselves, messed up views of one another, messed up views of your world. And you came to make the world right, to set things right, put things in its right place, which you will do one day when you return and make everything right once and for all. Pray that you would give us the ability to see you this morning for who you really are to show us of the messed up views that we have of you and to repent of those, to turn away from those, and to look to you with your Spirit's help. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We're back next week with another great message. Don't forget to check out our website, thegatheringottawa.com. And tune in next week to the Gathering Ottawa's Message Podcast.